0: There. Did you guys see me back there? All right. Oh, this has wheels. This is awesome. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> it's led by the Spirit, right here. You don't have to bow down before me. It's okay. I'm. That's <laughs> no, awesome. So, how many of you were not here for the morning session? I uh, forgive you. <laughs> Good thing Jesus didn't come though, huh? Been reading those books left behind. <laughs> <laughs> Joking. Sorry, my sense of humor. Um, yeah, we've been having a good time. Um, this is our first time in, in Santa Barbara, so uh, it, yeah, we've drove through before, but pretty cool. And um, Danny spoke earlier today. It was amazing. And, uh, we just had a good dinner with a bunch of the leaders, so we're just having a really good time. I'm going to give away a couple of things. This is called "The Process: There's, proce- uh, there's Power in the Process." And this is my wife, Kathy. And she should know, she molded me. How many of you know between the palace, between the promise and the palace is always the process? I think you can turn me down a little bit because I'm going to get louder. Between the palace, between the promise. You know, God gives you a promise and between the promise and the palace is always the process. And how many of you know that if you... You get, if you find some way around the process, you can't stay in the palace. Like, there's always a divinely planted giant in your promised land. How many of you figure that out? Like, it's in beating that giant that it gives you the strength to actually stay in the promised land. And um, Kathy's just done a great job talking about the process. There's a bunch of our stories... Um, our failures and and our successes in here, and she's she's done a really good job um, just sharing some of our family's process. Who would like to have this? Is anybody going through a really hard time right now? Hey, everybody raise their hand. <laughs> we all are. We're all messed up. Um, let's see. How about you, right there? That's good. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, and this is called more revolution. And it's a book about sex, so you probably wouldn't be interested because you're all Christians. <laughs> How many of you know when God said be fruitful, multiply, he gave you a sex drive? How many of you know that? What where'd the rest of you get yours from? <laughs> Maybe we should try this again. How many of you know when God said, Be fruitful, multiply? All of you that are over thirteen. How many of you know that he gave you a sex drive? The question is, what does it mean to have a sex drive, right? I believe it means you want to have sex with somebody. (laughs) And the goal is not to get rid of your... (laughs) Here we go. The goal is not to get rid of your sex drive, but to learn to manage your appetite. And um, I think that one of the struggles that we have in Christendom is that, um, you know, the world perverts sex, religion shames it, but the kingdom celebrates it. It was God's idea. Aren't you glad, like, that you didn't, like, just lay an egg or something? You could have designed this like a bird, like, just lay an egg and sit on that nest. Like, it's your turn's, like, no way, that egg's going to die if I have to sit on it. So, um, <laughs> that's a good word right there. <laughs> yeah, so I believe that we need a new moral revolution, a new sexual revolution, and this book is, is all about that. And. Um, we actually started an organization called Moral Revolution. By the way, you can get on at moralrevolution.com. We just, uh, our brand new website just came up. Questions and Answers. We have a, a sex therapist that's part of our team. We have two doctors that are part of our team. They, there's, you can write in questions, they, they write answers. And um, there's, there's videos, free videos on there. I don't know, like 50 of them. A bunch of stuff on there. So, it just came up, moralrevolution.com. You can get on there. We also have a Facebook. Um, who would like to have this book? somebody that's really like you're stuck in pornography and just really... (laughs) Just really... No, you're not. I don't believe you. You need the best in the next book. It's online. (laughs) This is a book that I wrote with my son called The Supernatural Power of Forgiveness. And um, he went through a divorce about four years ago. Um, And with three little kids, his wife ran off and um, got pregnant with another man's baby. And my son's a pastor on our staff. It was uh, painful, to say the very least. And so he began to journal. And he would send me his journals like, you know, once every week or every two weeks. He would send me his journal notes from his processing. The first ones were like, (laughs) they were pretty bad, like a horror story. I'm like, well, we're gonna burn these when we get through this season. But then he began, probably six or seven months into this, into his journey, he began to journal things, and um, I started reading this journal. Like at first, I was kind of, I'd skim over them. I'm like, oh, that's really painful. I don't want to even read that. But um, after a while, he started journaling some stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is really the Lord. Like the Lord is really helping him to get well. And you know, Jesus said, "Blessed are those who mourn." for they shall be comforted. See, part of the struggle in American culture is we don't do pain. And the problem is is that the only way that you get comforted is when you mourn. There's a lot of broken people that never get totally whole because we don't allow them to mourn. Like, we think it's our job, especially as Christians, we're like, somebody's mourning, we're like, okay, let's make you happy. Instead of help you through your grief, we try to stop the grieving process, and so um, and obviously people can get stuck in grief. What do we got going here? Racetrack or something? <laughs> okay. I, I want to read you one of his journal notes. This is this is when I, I wrote to him. He journaled one one night, and um, I probably uh, probably six months into this process of him getting well, and um, I wrote him back and I said, "This needs to be a book. There are so many people hurting." From divorce, from broken relationships, and so on and so forth. I said, I think what the Lord's teaching you, the way the Lord's teaching you to get well, I think it's going to help hundreds and hundreds of people. And this is one of the journal notes. My wife is my shepherd. Remember, this is six months uh, into his separation. My wife is my shepherd. I'm in want. She has taken away my power because I've given it to her. I'm guided in the path of least resistance because there's no comfort for my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear all the time because she's my source. I must prepare a table for her and have no needs because my happiness depends on her. Her words and touch comfort me, but only for a minute because the touch of God is what I really need. Surely powerlessness will follow me all the days of my life because I believe there's only one powerful person in this relationship and it's not me. Anyway, I think this is a really powerful book. Um, Is anyone going through a divorce and you... You, um, you're in the middle of it. You, would, you need this book. Cool. I'll give it to you right here. God bless you. And um, the last one I'll, I'll um, share is, this is called Heavy Rain. And it comes from the second, uh, no, Acts chapter 2, where it says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on some flesh. <laughs> it actually says all flesh, right? Can you guys see me in the back okay? Okay. Okay. Um, in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, thus heavy rain. And I, I just, I really believe that, what, you know, what if, what if we're in the middle, what if we're on the eve of construction? What, what if things are actually getting better and not worse? I, I want to read you just the part of a chapter that I wrote. Um, and Let's see if I can find it here. And, and I, I was going through this season where I just begin to question my lens. How many of you know that you all speak with an accent? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You don't know you speak with an accent until you meet someone who has a different one. And then you think they have the accent. But what you may not realize, maybe some of you don't even realize that. Like, I didn't realize I spoke with an accent until I went to England. And I'm like, you guys don't speak English. How did you mess up our language? But what you may not realize is not only do you speak with an accent, but you see with an accent. You don't see the world the way that it is. You tend to see the world the way you are. And you tend to see the world through a lens that validates what you already believe. As a matter of fact, you tend to read the Bible to validate what you already believe. And when somebody, when you come to a conference like this and someone shares something that you've never heard before, or that you don't believe, or that you, yeah, you never heard before, or you don't believe, that's good, that's the way I wanted to say that, you, you, tend, you, you, you tend to reject it, in fact, John Maxwell says that this is the way we process new information, the first time we hear that, we go, I don't agree with that, the second time we hear it, we say, well, I've heard that before, and the third time we hear it, we're like, well, isn't that a great idea I had? And so we tend, we tend to see the world not as it is, but as we are. And we tend to see the world through this lens that we don't actually know that we have. And so I was going through this season where I just began to have this thought, what if the world is actually getting better? What if we actually are going from glory to glory? And what if Isaiah 9 is right, that there shall be no end to the increase of his government, or get this, or of peace? What, what if the mountain of the house of the Lord is to become chief of the mountains? She'll come about, Isaiah chapter 2, that the mountain of the house of the Lord will become chief of the mountains and people will stream to it. And they'll say, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. He'll teach us of His ways. We'll walk in His paths. And the next verse says, and they will beat their plowshares, they will beat their, their spears into plowshares and their, and their uh, swords into pruning hooks and never again will they train for war. When's, when it says, and it begins, that, that chapter begins, Isaiah chapter 2, you can read it for yourself, it begins with, in the last days. What, what if it's actually supposed to get better, but someone taught me it needs to get worse for Jesus to come back? And so, I, I'm just going to read you this a little bit of process. You, you may not agree, it's okay, but next time, you, next time you hear this, you'll be like, I heard that before. In um, in 1968, Louis Armstrong, an African-American basking in the fresh flame of the Civil Rights Movement, stared down the doomsday of his era when he sang the famous song, What a Wonderful World. Here's a line from the song. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. A couple of years ago, I downloaded the song onto my iPod and happened to listen to it for the first time during a flight on my way to a conference. The song unearthed the crisis in my soul, one so deep that I was even unaware that it existed. As the song played, I found myself in a battle that's almost impossible to explain accurately with words, but I'll try. My heart wrenched with every line of the lyrics as my mind engaged in a heated conflict within itself. My brain became a battlefield and various scriptures emerged as soldiers warring against one another in a kind of noble struggle for truth. I kept pushing the replay on my iPod because it felt like Lewis's words were reinforcements for the war for reality. As the hours passed, I came to understand that a foreboding spirit, foreboding means an impending sense of doom, had somehow lodged itself in my soul and was dictating my worldview. I realized that there was some sort of warped need in me to believe that things were getting worse in the world. There I was, flying halfway around the world on a 12-hour flight aboard an air-conditioned jet thousands of miles from home, making a journey that only a century ago would have taken a year on horseback or months on a ship and would have been incalculably more dangerous. The war in my mind intensified, so I decided to retreat to a movie for a couple hours of solace. I adjusted the TV screen in front of me and began to click the check. The selection. As I flipped through the entertainment choices, I was frustrated when they seemed to be a bit dated. I had already watched most of the 10 movies the airline offered, and the other shows were chick flicks, and I wasn't about, I wasn't desperate enough to cry through a movie for entertainment. I grumbled to myself how badly the financial crisis had affected the transportation industry. Just then I remembered that I had bought a DVD, I had brought a DVD with me. I opened my laptop and put on my, my Bose noise-counseling headset and inserted the movie. By now, all the stress was giving me the munchies, so I pushed the button to alert the, the flight attendant that I needed attention. She came over to my seat just, and just happened to have my favorite soda in her cart. I asked her for something to eat, and she showed me a menu and informed me that I would have to pay $5 for a meal. $5, I whined. What's happening to the world? She explained to me that things were really tough on the airline business, so they had to charge for stuff they used to give away. I moaned a little bit and pulled out my American Express card and charged the meal. When we finally landed, I called Kathy on my cell phone to let her know that I had arrived safely. We talked for a little while, and she informed me that the water district had raised our rates 20% due to the the severe drought conditions that were hammering the North State. She went on to suggest that we cut back on watering our lawn. I want our lawn to stay green, I protested, when we hung up the phone, I thought global warming's already killing my lawn, <laughs> and it goes on like that. <clears throat> As I pondered these things, I came to realize that I was born into a world darkened in understanding. Although I was enlightened to the truth of salvation by faith, I had somehow chosen to leave the dark glasses of doubt on when viewing the Lord's parish, the world He so much loved. He so. He loved so much. After all, sunglasses were in vogue. Everyone was wearing them, and I didn't want the Christian crowd to reject me. I have since come to recognize that bad news sells. The average person today hears more negative reports in one week than someone just 50 years ago would have heard in their entire lifetime. Anyway, you may not agree with this, but it definitely will make you think. And I just have a sense that God actually wants to pour His Spirit out on all flesh. And I think that He wants to make disciples of all nations. I don't think it was a metaphor. I think He meant it. And He said to Abraham thousands of years ago, He said, in hope, in fact, in Romans 4, it's, he quotes, it's an Old Testament quote, actually, in Romans 4, it says, In hope against hope, Abraham believed. And so he became a father of nations, and so shall his descendants be. I actually believe that Jesus wants heaven to come to earth. I don't believe the emphasis is on you going to heaven. How many of you know we all want to go to heaven? I do. I believe in heaven. I believe we're going to heaven. But I I believe that my destiny is heaven, but my ministry is getting heaven to earth. So, would anyone like this book? Awesome, you can buy it in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, would you come and get it, please? Thank you. Let's pray. Why don't you grab a hand and... Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you've done already through this conference, through all the 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 leaders, teachers, for faith and for Donna and Steve and Danny and Lord, we just we bless every word. We pray that these seeds would fall on good soil and that we would cultivate them that they would grow in our hearts. Lord, we bless what you're doing. We thank you for what you're doing. And we we pray for more. Everybody say more. More. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Tonight I want to talk to you uh, about living in wholeness. It's a little bit of a shift in subject for uh, probably for what we've been talking about this um, this week, but I've really felt strongly that we're supposed to do this. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 3, this will be a familiar passage for us. And we'll just begin with this. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day in the gate at the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking them to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to look... He began to give them his attention, expecting that he would receive something from them. But Peter said, We are pastors, we do not possess silver or gold, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with him, walking Leaping and praising God. Everybody say, walking. Walking, Leaping leaping. and praising God. I I want to talk to you about living in wholeness. And I want you to see that the man walked, he got physically healed. He leaped, he got emotionally healed. And he praised God, he got spiritually healed. And I believe that the Lord wants to touch the whole man. And I believe the Lord wants to heal the whole man. And I think that there's, there's something about the spiritual climate um, in Christendom that causes us to value the spirit and to devalue the soul and the body. And I want to show you that Jesus actually cares about the whole man. How many of you remember the story of the blind man in, in John chapter 9? When this man comes to Jesus, he's totally blind, and he's like, Jesus, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and he's like, what would you have me do? And the man says, that I would receive my sight. Now, this is kind of a strange story. You know, there are 27 different miracles named in the Bible, in the New Testament, that Jesus did. I don't mean that Jesus only did 27 miracles. I mean, there's 27 times where it tells you exactly how Jesus did a specific miracle. Many times it says, and he healed them all. Well, You don't know how he did it, it just says it healed them all. But 27, there are 27 specifically different miracles that are named in the Bible where Jesus touched somebody or healed somebody in a different way. And I began to think about this. How many of you believe that Jesus can just speak the word and you could be healed? Like the centurion said to Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. Listen, all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. For I know that you're a man under authority. I'm a man under authority. I understand authority, and I understand that when you say to this one, I say to this one, go, he goes. When I say to this one, come, he comes. And so and I know that you're a man under authority. In other words, I know that when you speak the word, the angels go out and they carry out your word. You don't have to come to my house, just speak the word. How many of you believe that Jesus didn't have to do anything besides speak a word and people would be well? I mean, if Peter's shadow healed people, certainly Jesus could heal people just through the spoken word. My point is this. If Jesus did more than speak words to people, I would say that he was trying to heal more than someone's body. So here comes the, uh, the blind man. He can't see. You can just imagine. He's in a crowd. You know, he can't see a thing. People know him. He's trying to find his way to Jesus. He's doing it by hearing Jesus' voice and maybe hearing people say, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And so he's kind of making his way through the crowd just... Just kind of, you know, uh, haphazardly, if you will. And Jesus, he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, What would you have me do? And he said, That I would receive my sight. And Jesus is all, okay, and now he's blind. Remember, this guy can't see a thing. The next thing he hears is, (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? You're a blind man, and you just ask Jesus to heal you, and the next thing you hear is, Have you ever thought about, why did Jesus spit in the mud, make spit in the dirt, make mud, and put it in the guy's eyes? I mean, why not just say, be healed? Go your way, your faith has healed you. You know, all the things Jesus, all the other ways Jesus healed people. Why does he spit to heal the blind man? Well, if you read the story, when he encounters the blind man, the disciples say, it says, this man was born blind. And the disciples say, Did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, No, that this would be this, but this is for the glory of God. Listen, unlike American culture, in Jewish culture, when somebody was born blind, now, there has to be, there's a distinction here. When somebody is born blind, like, not they fell off their chariot and got, you know, got hurt, but. In Jewish culture, if somebody was born blind, remember in the book of Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, Moses, through God, God, said through Moses, "Listen, if you serve me, here's all the blessings, and there's all this whole like half chapter of blessings, right? Like you know your your all, your crops won't fail, you'll have rain, you know your children, you won't miscarry, you'll be blessed when you come in, you'll be blessed when you go out. Remember this, but if you serve other gods." Here's the curses. And there's like 40 curses. You'll miscarry. You'll have all these problems. There'll be madness. There'll be blindness. There'll be leprosy. Are you following me? When a Jewish person... When a Jewish person... I'm so sorry. I'm so ADD. It's my my bad. In Jewish culture, when somebody somebody was born blind, in Jewish culture they believed that God cursed them. So when a, when a blind man would walk down the street, of course, in America, you see somebody blind and you give them a break, right? You give them like, okay, you need some help, or can I help you? You show compassion to them. But in Jewish culture, if you were born blind, you, oftentimes, when you, a blind man would walk down the street, people would spit on him. Why? Because they believed that they were agreeing with God. The last time that guy heard, the blind man heard, it was to, it was to curse him. Jesus uses the thing to, that cursed him to heal him. You know, you've, we've all seen dogs, and you go to pet them, and the dog goes, backs up. You know, oh, that dog was beaten. Jesus is taking that you can imagine when the, the blind man hears Jesus, you can imagine he, he ducks his head and all of a sudden he feels spit in his eyes and he can see. He got physically healed. He got emotionally healed. And guess what? He figured out that he wasn't cursed. He got spiritually healed. The leper. Have you ever noticed how Jesus healed lepers? What did Jesus do with nearly every healing of a leper? He touched him. Why does he touch him? A leper, remember this, a leper's never been touched before. I mean, as a matter of fact, when a leper walks down the street, if he comes into town, when he walks down the street, he has to yell, Unclean! I'm unclean! And people, you can understand, it's like an ambulance driving down the street with his lights on. People just move away, give him distance, like they don't even want to be in his air. It was, it was, it was, you know, it was the cancer of the day, thought, thought to be very contagious by only touch alone. So here's this leper. What does Jesus do with lepers? He, does he spit on them? No, he touches them. And then he says, go, show yourself to the what? Priest. Why does he tell them, go show yourself to the priest? In, in Luke, I think, um, what verse is it? It's chapter 17. J- ten lepers come to Jesus. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And on their way to see the priest, they all get well. Do you remember this? And so, one of them, a Samaritan, one of the, one of the lepers is a Samaritan. The Samaritan comes back. And he throws himself at Jesus' feet and to thank Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, wasn't there ten lepers who got healed? And this foreigner, he's the only one who's come back to thank me. And he turns to the leper and he says to him, this is powerful, your faith has made you sozo. Ho. Oh, the word, sozo. See, the Nine lepers got healed, one got whole. I have struggled with this, this thought, this, this concept for years. I mean, at Bethel, we see people, literally, we see thousands of people every year get healed. People fly in from all over the world. We see people from all kinds of different countries. Many times, terminal cancer patients. Terminal this, terminal that, tumors here. I mean, it's just... It's, it's sometimes, to be totally frank, living there, it's sometimes you're offering hope to people who they've tried everything else. And some of these people are not Jesus people. Many of these people are like, you know, it's like my cousin said, you know, I'm going to get healed here. And it, it's a lot of pressure, to be honest. And I, I've seen tumors disappear. I've seen people, the reports, I mean, doctor's reports... I'm not just talking about like someone said. Yeah, I had cancer and I'm well. And you know, you don't know if they're like, are you are you faith in it? You know, I'm not sure what you're doing. I, I'm not opposed to it. I just you don't know because sometimes you share the testimony and you find out later that actually didn't get well, physically well. And and I'm fine with however they do it. I'm simply saying, I know of I know many 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 doctors' reports come back. They can't find cancer anywhere. Then six months later, a year later, like the tumor goes away right there while the prayer servant's praying for him. Tumor goes away. I mean, you can see. A year later, tumor's back. I mean, some people obtain what they can't sustain. And for years, I'm like, man, something's wrong. Like, you know, it's like this person got healed, but they didn't get whole. And I'm convinced... I'm convinced that sometimes the physical manifestation is not the root of the problem. I want to be careful. I'm I'm not saying it's always spiritual or it's always in the soul. I'm not making a blanket statement. You know, obviously you fall off your bike, you break your leg. Hello. You know, probably it's physical. Unless you've fallen off your bike 50 times, then maybe there's other issues. But I think that we don't realize that we are a triune being. We are spirit, soul, and body. And sometimes I'm convinced that people are sick in their soul and it eventually manifests in their body and their spirit. Sometimes people are sick in their spirit and it manifests in their soul and their body. Are are you, are you getting what I'm saying? In other words... I think that wisdom and power need to flow together so that when people get healed, they also get sozo. They actually get whole so that the sickness doesn't come back. I was um, praying, this is probably, I don't know, this story is pretty old. It's probably five or six years old. And it was actually on a Sunday morning and we were praying for people. Um, I think Bill had preached or somebody else had preached and there was a bunch of us praying for the, the sick and there was a whole line at, in front of me, I, I was standing in the aisle and there was, I don't know how many people probably 30, 40 people standing in line and I was praying for him, praying for him, praying for him, and it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and we'd been there since 6 that morning had to come back at 5 and, and honestly, I was like, I looked up and there were still like 5 people in line and I was, I was, I was really like I'm like, okay, I'm going to wave the magic wand over these people and that's it, you know <laughs> I'm just like, in Jesus' name, be healed, you know, whatever your problem is, don't even tell me, whew, here you go. Oh, I mean, it, it, it. I, was, I was done. I was done, but they weren't. And so I'm like, okay, so, you know, here we go. So I was doing that. I was in that mode. Like, I wasn't even trying. I was just trying to get out of there, to be honest. I was trying to get out of there gracefully. And so, I, you know, I pray for the, you know, the fourth person, the fifth person, the fourth person, the third person, the second person, and when I get to like the set, the, 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 I'm almost done. Uh, this lady comes up, and she says, you know, I don't remember what it was. It was like fibromyalgia or something. But she couldn't move. Like, just moving up to get prayed for, she was just moving really stiff. And, and she was obviously in lots of pain. And, and, and she, said, she started to describe her condition. And to be frank, I, I don't remember what it was. I just remember watching her move. And she said, you know, I have pain all over my body. I can barely move. I've had this for 15 years. Da, da da I mean, it was a long time. It may have been 13, but it was a lot of years. And so I'm going to give her the you know, magic wand. Whew, Jesus' name, be healed. Okay, if you didn't get healed, come tonight, we'll try again. It was going to be that, total. I'm getting out of here, and it's football season, and I need to watch the Niners win. And so, so when I go to pray for her, I, I close my eyes, and I honestly am not in spiritual mode at all. And as clear as day, in my spirit, I hear, I'm not going to heal her through you, I'm going to heal her through her husband. And I'm like, that's cool. I'll tell her, she's going home. And the Lord's like, no, tell her husband to come up here. I'm like, oh man, this is not cool. So I say to her, ma'am, is your husband here? And instead of saying yes, she goes, yeah. I said, um... Well, the Lord said to me that he's going to heal you through your husband and not through me. And so I need her, you to get your husband to come up here. And she looked at me as to say, <laughs> dude, you are crazy. Yeah. And so she, and I'm like, oh, this could take a while. She's not looking happy. So she goes, uh, I said, so where's your husband? And she goes, he's back there in the corner. So I said, well, go get him and come up here. So I, have, I think there's one or two more people in the line. So she goes, okay, so you know she's not moving very fast anyway, and it get, takes her a while to get back there. And she gets back there, and I'm praying for the last two people with my eyes open. I'm kind of like praying for them, looking back there. And I can see when she gets back there that they're in an argument. I mean, I can't hear them, but I can see their body language. Like, he doesn't want to come up. And, he, and, and, they're, and they're shouting at each other. And so finally he comes up, You know, and I, I've prayed for the last person, and they're the last people. And so he comes up, and, and, I, and he goes... He goes like this, what do you want? I'm like, this is not good. This is not good. Like, this lady gets any improvement, it'll be the biggest miracle I've ever seen in my life. And so I said, you know, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, this is really, I'm thinking, honestly, this this was a stupid idea. And I'm like, I don't know if this was the Lord at all. And so, but I'm trying to be confident, because he goes, what do you want? I said, well, the Lord said to me, (laughs) I hope this works. The Lord said to me, that you're going to pray for your wife and she's going to get healed. And he goes, I don't pray. I go, well, you do now. (laughs) Well, you do now. That's what I said to him. And he goes, whatever. I go, whatever. (laughs) Seriously, I am thinking, this is the stupidest idea I have had in a long time. So he goes, so I said, so he goes, what do you want me to do? I said, well, What I want you to do is I want you to put your hands right here and I got it, grabbed his hands and you know he's like, mm-hmm. and he's like I just just put your hands right here and just repeat after me. He's all mm-hmm. he puts his hands there and he's I said, I in Jesus name he's like, In Jesus name, like like use it as a cuss word, you know. Like, in Jesus name, in Jesus' name. I release healing over your body or whatever. It was just a really simple prayer, whatever it was. Just like one line. I figured we'd get one line out. would be good. So he's, in Jesus' name, I release healing over your body. Man, just say it, dude. I release healing over your body. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And he stands back. And she has her eyes closed. And and, and I'm I'm like, oh, I am so embarrassed. Have you ever done something like this before? I am so embarrassed. I am so sorry I started this from the beginning. I mean, I feel bad for her. I feel bad for me. So, and so she's standing there, and all of a sudden, she goes, my pain's gone. My pain's gone. And, And it's like she's talking to herself at first. She goes, my pain's gone. And she begins to move. And she goes, I can't believe it. My pain's gone. And I, and I go, are you sure? <laughs> Seriously. I'm, like, I'm the least faith, faith-filled person in the room. I'm like, she's just trying I to make him feel good. That's totally what I'm thinking. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, I'm telling you, I haven't been able to do this in whatever, 13 years. My pain is gone. And then she begins to go like this, and then she begins to like run back and forth. She goes, my pain is gone. And he goes... And the only person more shocked is me. I'm like... And she's running back and forth, and she's jumping up and down, and she's like, my pain is gone. I can't believe my pain is gone. And, and he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, seriously? It's not going to come back, right? <laughs> I'm doing that kind of thing, you know. So she runs up and down and they, and they finally leave. And I'm like, I think I just witnessed the greatest miracle I've ever witnessed in my life. And I don't know who had faith because it wasn't him and it wasn't me. <laughs> so I'm driving out the driveway and you can imagine my mind just going a thousand miles an hour. Like, you know, I'm a little OCD anyway. So I'm, I'm driving out the driveway and I'm thinking to myself... Why, what? How did that happen? Like, Why did that happen? And so I say out loud, I'm in my car and I say, God, why did you heal her through him instead of through me? He said, he broke her, he can fix her. That's what he said. Just, he said, immediately, he said, he broke her, he can fix her. I said, what? He said, he committed adultery on her many, many years ago. He's repented, but she's never been able to see him as a man who she can trust. So I used him to fix her so that not only would she get well, but it would restore their bond. I'm like, that was such an amazing idea I had. <laughs> In Third John chapter 2, John writes this, Beloved, I pray that in all respects that you may prosper, everybody say prosper, and be in good health, everybody say good health, just as your soul, everybody say soul, Soul. prospers. I don't know if you just heard what John said. He said, I pray that you would prosper, that's part one, and that you would be in good health, part two, and that the foundation of you prospering and being in good health is that, is that your soul prospers. And the word soul is actually, it's the Greek word psyche. In other words, your prosperity and your physical health is directly related to how you treat your soul. And, and I read that verse, this is real recently, I started to realize why so many Christians are sick. Because we are taught that our soul is bad. Our flesh is bad, our soul is bad, and we're all trying to be spiritual. And spiritual, in most Christian realms, means you're not emotional And we're like, oh, that person's in the flesh. That's a negative. In the flesh. Negative. When it does, we, we don't even realize John 1, and the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. If flesh was evil, then Jesus would have been evil. And I began to realize, you know, I used to say that the the soul was the mind, will, and emotions. I don't believe that anymore. Because I believe that you're tripolar. (laughs) I believe that you think from the soul. So I do believe part of that is part of the mind. You think from the soul. You think from the body, the flesh. And you think from the spirit. And Paul said in... Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, he said, Be renewed, get this, in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, he says, listen, Ephesians, I want you guys specifically to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Which means that the spirit affects the way I think. Now, we all know that, you know, if you take, for instance, illegal drugs, how many of you know you're taking something physical, right? A pill. You're taking a physical pill. It's affecting you what? Your physical body. But does it not affect the way you think? Absolutely. So we would all agree that you think that you think from the body. True. Isn't it true that, that if you go through a divorce and your heart is broken, your soul is broken? You know, the, the Bible uses the word heart and soul interchangeably, by the way. If your heart is broken... That it affects the way you think. Everybody agree with that? And David said in Psalms 23 when he was betrayed, and the Lord restores my soul. He said, My soul's broken. And how many of you understand if you have an evil spirit or if you come into a meeting like this and someone's leading worship and there's a very, and the Holy Spirit is, I don't know how you explain this, I don't know, but I think you know what I'm talking about, is hovering. The Holy Spirit is hovering. It affects the way you think. Don't you love being in those atmospheres where you walk in and all of a sudden you're thinking outside of physics, the laws of physics. You start to think from heavenly places. I think that, um, you know, in the physical realm, your body is fighting off It's fighting a war all the time, isn't it? Like we call it germs, right? Disease. And there's, I'm sorry, I'm not a doctor, so if I get this wrong, at least I know the concepts right. So like, the white blood cells are at war all the time, right? Fighting off disease. And how many of you understand there's more happening below the conscious level of your mind than in the conscious level of your mind? Like, your, your, your subconscious is actually running all of your organic system, isn't it? Yeah. Have you ever laid in bed at night and suddenly started to think about what your brain is doing without thinking? Yeah. Like, you're, you ever start thinking about your heartbeat? Have you ever done that? It's really freaky. And all of a sudden, you're like, dum-dum, dum-dum, dum-dum. You're like, I think it missed a beat. <laughs> I need to think about this. How is, how is my brain doing this without me actually telling it to do this? And you know what happens is, is that when your body, when your physical body needs your conscious help to fight off an enemy, it sends you a message. Right? It's called what? Pain. Like, you, you break your leg or sprain your ankle. And a, a voice from the deep goes, Hey, stupid. Stupid. Get off your leg. We're trying to fix it, but we need you to sit down. Right? And we call that pain. It's a message from the from the subconscious to the conscious. Something steps out sticks out of the water and goes, "Over here, get off the leg." We're trying to help you, but we need now we need your participation cuz we can't get this fixed unless you get off of it. Hello. Hello. Right? And of course, if you play in the NFL, you just take a shot and keep playing, which is why you can't walk when you're 40. Because you figure out ways to shut that voice down. I think the same thing happens in the soul. I think the soul is constantly fighting off, if you will, enemies. Enemy of our soul. How many know the devil's called the enemy, not of our spirit, the, enemy, the, the adversary, he's the adversary of our what? Soul. And I believe that the soul has, is just, it has antibodies, if you will, that are fighting off all kinds of demonic stuff all the time, keeping us safe. There's walls of protection around us. There are, if you will, antibodies in the soul that are keeping you in, in happiness, in joy, in peace. And every once in a while, every once in a while, something happens to where your soul needs your help. And it sends you a message in the form of pain, depression, anxiety, fatigue. It goes, dude, we've been trying to fight this off, but we need your help. Maybe it's like we need some encouragement. Maybe it's like we need some sleep. (laughs) How many of you know what I mean? Like we need you to stop... And we need you to get in a place... Listen, you're, you're always working with the poor, and they're taking, 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 and we're trying to give you. But listen, we have nothing else to give, and you need to hang around some people who pour into your soul. How many with me? And I think it's the same way in the spirit. I think there's a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6... Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but then he names five dimensions of spiritual warfare. And I think that there's always this, this demonic warfare. You know, people are like, the devil's still... I have this prophetic word for you. What is it? The devil's trying to kill you. <laughs> that not prophetic word's It's in the Bible. I know that. It's a compliment. Wouldn't it be a bummer that he just totally left you alone? Like, you are so insignificant, he doesn't even care what you do. And I think that we go along in life and we're just like... And have you ever had a dream where in the dream somebody's chasing you and you're running as fast as you can go? (laughs) And in the dream you're thinking, if I could just run faster, I would be fine. How many of you have ever had a dream something like that? I actually believe that that's the spirit, that that dream is the spirit world saying dude, we're going as fast as we can, but we need some help. Like, we need, we need some God time. We, we, need some, we need some word here. We need you to stop and make a connect with the Father. We, we need you, and I'm not trying to make this a discipline, but we need you to make a connection. We need you to pray. Maybe we need you to fast. Maybe we need you to worship. We need some connection. Listen, we're doing all we can, but we're trying to say, from the, we're sending you a message from the deep. We can't do this without your participation. Please help. Here's some pain. And I believe that the Lord is trying to heal. No, yes, that's true. The Lord is trying to heal our whole, our whole body, our whole being. But I believe that He wants us to walk in wholeness. Now, here's part of the struggle. Part of the struggle is we don't do pain. As I said earlier when I was talking about Jay's book, we don't do pain. So pain, bad. Pain, evil. Pain, bad. Pain, ignore. So when we are in pain, instead of stopping and saying, hey, let's see, this morning I was in peace and and it's 12 o'clock and I have anxiety. I wonder what's wrong. See, no one stops and thinks like that, very few people stop and think, when did I lose my peace? I just go, I'm in pain, what do I need to do to get out of pain? How about eat? Okay, I've eaten everything in sight. <laughs> i run out of things to eat, now I'll go shopping. Yeah, shopping works until the credit card bill comes. And, and, I, just, and I just do, like, I don't do pain. So, you know, I have anxiety, and by the time I get off work during the day, it's increased, and so I'm going to go do something to try to ignore ignore this pain. Instead of stopping and going, listen, okay, what happened? And see, if if you don't keep short accounts with yourself, three weeks later, you're still in pain, right? Like you drown it every once in a while, and, you know, some people drown it with things like alcohol or drugs or sex or something. You know, Christians don't always drown it with that. They... Drown it with other stuff, like gossip and, you know, Christian stuff. <laughs> but three weeks later, you're still in pain. But you know what? No one taught you to manage your soul. And now you can't remember when you weren't in pain. I mean, you remember two months ago I wasn't in pain. But you can't, you can't, you can't trace it back to, hey, wait a second. Yeah, this morning I woke up peaceful. And at noon, I have anxiety. And I don't stop. See, when I keep short accounts with myself, are you with me? When When I'm watching over my soul, I can stop and say, what was that? Oh, you know what? I know what that was. Somebody shared this story about cancer, and I have this lump on my leg. And while they were sharing, I had this thought that wonder if that's cancer, I didn't remember it by noon that I had that thought, but the anxiety remained because I didn't go back and go, no, that is not cancer. No, listen. Or I didn't say, I'm going to go get that checked out. We'll, we'll, We'll take care of that later. And there was no closure. Because there's no closure, I have anxiety, but it's been so long since it happened, I can't remember what it is. Now there's a whole another problem in the Christian world that I don't think that non-Christians face, and that is the. I shared it with you a few minutes ago, but let me just unpack it a little bit. In most Christian circles, and throughout history, the soul and the body were considered evil, at best, to be oppressed, to be, to be pushed down, to be ignored. In fact, in the medieval uh, days, sex was considered something that you endured to have children. Monasteries were started where people got away from all pleasure and anything that stimulated the soul. And then not only did, were monasteries started, but then they even went to a place where in the monastery you didn't speak. You took a vow of silence. Do you know why all that was? Do you understand understand why they did that? Well, they're just bad people. No, no. They weren't bad people. They were taught that the soul was, was inherently evil and that anything you did to stimulate pleasure in the soul was bad. So they separated themselves from society so that their soul wouldn't be stimulated, and then they didn't even want to be stimulated by one another, so they took a vow of silence. Now you're like, well, I don't live in a monastery. You don't live in a monastery, but I will bet you that many of the core values of that monastic living are still in some of your thinking. It's spread throughout Christianity, and it looks different, but it's the same spirit. And we do in charismatic circles, and I realize you're not all charismatic, but in charismatic circles, we, you know when somebody you know gets real excited and woo-woo woo-woo, we're woo, like that's just emotionalism. That's just the flesh. Well, I understand what we might be trying to say, but I also understand where it's coming from. What we don't realize is that God is the most emotional guy in the Bible i got to say that again because of the way you just looked at me. God is the most emotional guy in the Bible. He laughs, he cries, he gets angry, he gets excited, he mourns. Look at Jesus. I mean, you can't get more emotional than Jesus. He gets angry, he turns over the tables, he gets, goes home, makes a whip, goes home and makes a whip. Doesn't even buy one. makes a whip. Chases the people out and says... And then and then and then says, "I did this because the zeal for my house, God's house, is consuming me." He cries. He gets happy. Hebrews chapter one says that Jesus was anointed with joy above his companions. In plain English, he was happier than the people he hung out with. He was happy. He cried. He got angry. He mourned. Are you following me? It's like you're like. It's suppressing... Remember now, Third John, I pray that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. What happens if you punish or repress or oppress your soul? You undermine your prosperity and you destroy your health. I'm convinced that Christians are sick Because they do not value the soul. Go, well, I I believe I'm supposed to be spirit-led. Spirit-led is different than soul-dead. Well, the mindset on the flesh is death. Okay, let's talk to that scripture. That would be Romans 6. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. What flesh is he talking about? Because the same guy, Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, also said in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as you love your own body. And it's actually the same word, flesh. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Wait a second. I thought you just said that if I think about my flesh, it's death. Well, let me tell you something. There's the same word, sarex. S-A-R-X. The same word sarx, which is the word flesh or body in the, in the Greek, is not the word itself is not inherently bad or good. If you will, it's amoral. The definition is in the context. So there is sarx, there is bad flesh, and there is sarx, good flesh. When you received Jesus Christ, you became a new creation. Not a new spirit, a whole new creation. Remember Romans chapter 8 says he's even given life to our mortal sartex, mortal bodies. Are you following me? So there's the bad flesh. Well, what's the bad flesh? The bad flesh is Galatians chapter 5. It says, But you who are, be, who are under the... I'm sorry, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh, sarex, are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger disputes, dis, uh, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and you get the idea. He says, these are the deeds of the flesh. How many of you understand the flesh that, you, that he's talking about, if you haven't put your mind on the flesh, it's death. He's talking about immorality, impurity, immor- uh, jealousy, strife, contention. That's the flesh he's talking about. That's the old man that was drowned in the baptismal tank. When you put your mind on the old man, you're moving back towards the graveyard. But how many of you understand that you're supposed to nourish and cherish your new Sarex? As a matter of fact, the way you treat yourself, your Sarex, your flesh, actually, is the way you treat your woman when you're married, guys. And Paul makes this statement, no one ever hated his own Sarex. No one ever hated his own flesh, but what does he do? Nourishes and cherishes it. In other words, Paul's saying, it's right that you nourish and cherish your flesh. Same word, Greek word. And you, the way you're supposed to nourish and cherish your flesh is the way you're supposed to nourish and cherish your woman. And I would say the same for the wives. But the point is, is that you are to nourish and cherish, not jealousy, like nourish and cherish jealousy. Okay? and strife, and envy, and contention, and hatred, and bitterness. No, no, he's not, he's not talking about that flesh. That flesh died. But you are to nourish and cherish the flesh that came out of the baptismal tank. Now, I thought I was supposed to be spirit-led. Yes, your spirit's supposed to lead your being, your triune being, spirit, soul, and body. How many of you understand that I'm not supposed to be soul-led? It doesn't mean that I don't have a soul. It means I'm not supposed to be soul-led. I'm not supposed to be led by the sarx. In other words, I don't feel like going to work today. So? So what? I don't feel like loving my wife. That's fine that you don't feel that way. Because you're spirit-led. So your spirit tells your soul how to feel. And the soul says, I don't feel good today. I don't feel like loving anybody. And the spirit says, okay, that's fine. Love anyway. Love anyway. We're in charge here. Love anyway. I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you to feel like it. I asked you to do it. I don't feel like worshiping. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. Because if you felt like it, then it wouldn't be called a sacrifice. So my spirit tells my soul... Soul, make a boast in the Lord, and the humble will hear it and be glad. I don't feel like boasting in the Lord. I didn't ask you if you felt like it. I'm not being led by my soul. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not oppressing my soul. I'm not repressing my soul. I'm simply leading it. Are you following me? So I, I'm not saying it's evil. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is he didn't say evil. He didn't say the spirit is weak, but the flesh is evil. No, he said the flesh is weak. And listen, actually, all of us Christians know this. Like, we all, we all do things every day that we know are right because we know they're right, but we don't feel like it, and maybe we're tired. I mean, we actually practice this on some level. We actually, you know, somebody comes in, you, know, you get a call on the phone with your best friend, and you're, you're exhausted. You're tired. You haven't slept. You're wore out. You don't feel like talking to them. But the, but the fact is, they're in trouble. And they leave you a message like, can you please call me? I just had the worst day of my life. And you're thinking, I've just had the worst hour of my life. But your spirit says, call them. Your body says, I'm exhausted. Your soul says, I don't feel good. Your spirit says, call anyway. Isn't it true? So, so you know, I know this is maybe too practical, but that's being led by the Spirit. It's not like, you, should I go potty now? Ooh, I don't see the Father doing it, so I will not. And then pretty soon, you know, you're walking like this, you know, waiting for the Father to go potty. It's like, dude, can you not be so weird? I mean, we have a supernatural school of ministry. Get this, supernatural. Who do you think we tracked? Supernatural school ministry. The students come in the first week, you know, they think they're supposed to do this. Wow, that's all angels. The angels told me to come to school. I'm like, oh, did the angel give you the money? Ah, no, but the angel told me you would have a word for me. I do. Go get some money. If the Lord gave you a vision, he'll give you provision. If he didn't, I don't have it either. That's the word I have for you. I'll oh, ask the angel if that's right. <laughs> they do that for you know three or four weeks. It's like whoa, and then they get me like, dude, what are you doing, man? Ah, uh, following the spirit. Yeah, I'm concerned about which one. Which one? Because that one feels like the spirit of weird. The spirit of weird and the spirit of strange. are like following you around the sanctuary. You are driving me crazy. Can you stop this? Just like, woohoo, hoo land her down. Right here. Just, whoop, just, just you know, wheels down, whoop, be fine. Well, the Lord told me, can you just leave that out? Can you just leave that out? Because when the Lord tells you things... It's a nice way of saying, listen, I don't need any input from you because God talks to me. Right? People come up, well, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to leave this church and go somewhere else. What do you say? Oh, I say the Lord's wrong. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to say when you say the Lord said? I mean, come on. <laughs> when they do that, I just want to do that in my office. Like, the Lord told me, I'm like, woo! <laughs> Okay, go ahead and finish. Woo-hoo, I'll do the music while you talk. Woo-hoo, 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 woo-hoo. I mean, can we just not do that? Or, thou shalt... I mean, come on, man. You know, Jesus didn't talk like that. It was Teen James, man. I mean, Crazy. Part of the challenge comes from a verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between the soul and spirit, both joint and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That, that verse seems to say the Word of God is dividing between the soul and the spirit. In other words, spirit, good, soul, bad. And uh, my, my friend Harold Erbley who is also a Greek scholar, said, listen, that verse doesn't actually, the Greek doesn't actually say that. The Greek says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides between the soul and the soul, and the spirit and the spirit. There's actually one translation of the Bible, and I'm sorry, I thought it was the Phillips, but it isn't, that actually translates it that way. Well, you can understand why the translator wouldn't say that. I mean, what does that mean? Those, we live, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and divides between the soul and the soul and the Spirit and the Spirit. Oh, that's perfectly clear. <laughs> See, let's pretend this is the Spirit and this is the soul. The verse reads: the Spirit, that the Word divides between the Spirit and the soul this way. But Harold says, No. Actually, the, word, the actually Greek says that it divides between it divides this way. It divides what shouldn't be in the soul from what should be, and what should be in the, what shouldn't be in the spirit from what should be. In other words, the spirit, the Word of God, is actually living and active, and it's like a surgeon, and it can cut out everything that isn't supposed to be in the soul without touching one thing that should be. It's a master surgeon. It goes, listen, this should be there. I don't want to take out anything that's real and authentic in you, but I want to take out this thing right here that you're doing that isn't healthy. And he's doing the same thing in the spirit. I want, Listen, I, want, I don't want to take anything out of you that's not supposed to be there. I mean, that's supposed to be there. I want to leave, I want to leave everything that's supposed to be there. I just, and it's so sharp that not one cell, if you will, of your soul gets cut out that's supposed to be there. It's not like a surgeon in the natural who has to cut out a bunch of good cells because he wants to make sure he gets it all. No, this just cuts exactly, takes exactly what shouldn't be in your soul from what should be. And the same with your spirit. Are you following me? Are you guys okay? Are you bored? This is the last session. Okay. We, we're taught... That we shouldn't have appetites. How many of you know that your body needs air? <laughs> <gasps> that you need food? Well, I'll fast for 40 days, but you didn't do 41 because you know you need food. <laughs> that you need sleep. How many of you know your body needs sleep? That you need sunlight. How many know you actually your body actually needs sunlight? How many know that your spirit needs worship? That your spirit actually needs the word? That your spirit actually needs prayer. How many know that? How many of you know that your spirit actually needs fellowship? How many of you know that your soul needs affection? Here we go. How many of you know that you need attention? I well, don't I don't need He's just doing that for attention. Psst. Yeah? <laughs> I need attention. I need affection. How many of you know I need significance? I need to feel like, listen, I may not have the desire to be President of the United States, but I need to feel like my life matters. How many of you know that? I need to feel like somebody cares about me. I need to be loved. Well, I don't care what anyone thinks. Actually, you do. And the more you say that, the more you're actually saying, I so care about what people think that I'll reject them before they reject me because I can't take them rejecting me. I don't need attention. Everything's pierced. Everything's covered with tattoos. My hair is spiked. As as it's 14 different colors. I'm walking on the street. I don't need attention. I mean, you know, I've got spikes everywhere. Yeah, you're a walking like, look at me. And then they look at you like, What are you looking at? What do you think I'm looking at? I mean, how many more did you need? How much more attention do you need? Those people are just in the flesh. No, they're starving for attention. And here's the problem. If you're taught that you're not supposed to need attention, you won't manage it. Most of us, when we get a certain age, we need sex. We're sexual beings. God created us that way. Well, I just don't believe that's true. Well, yeah, that's why you're looking at porn. Because you have no plan to manage your sexual appetite. Because someone taught you it's evil. I'm trying to tell you something. Christians are the most dysfunctional people in the world when it comes to the soul and the body. Because we've been taught we're not supposed to have these desires. Well, the fact is you do. We Our EQ is like Zip. Our, you know, our spiritual intelligence is like way up here. I know people like, wow, they know God, and they defend everybody. I have a good friend. <laughs> Let's stop and think about that for a minute. Uh, before I go on to that, I just, want, I want to make just one point that I, I missed. Do you know that temptation is not sin? Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus was tempted in every way. Jesus, by the way, he couldn't have been a eunuch and be tempted in every way. He was tempted in every way except without sin. You know, if you put me in a room, and I was like really hungry, I hadn't eaten for two days, and you put me in a room with sushi, no temptation. I hate sushi. See, in order for me to be tempted, I have to have a natural appetite for it. Now, you put me in a room with steak and lobster cooked perfectly with butter on the lobster and you're like, don't eat this. It's for tomorrow. I'm like, say what? I'm tempted. Why? I have the natural appetite for steak and lobster. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. You cannot be tempted with something you don't already have an appetite for. But get this. I am not Defined by the temptations I resist. I'm only defined by the passions I embrace. Did you get that? Jesus was tempted in every way except for without sin. What's that mean? It means that he had to have an appetite for those things in order to be tempted. Because you, you can only be tempted by things you have an appetite for. So, If a naked woman ran through this room, most of the men in the room would be tempted. Is that sin? No. When is it sin? It's sin when I agree with the temptation. When I say, I want her. I haven't touched her. I haven't said anything with my words. But in my mind, I go, I want her. As soon as I've done that, I've crossed over from temptation. I've agreed with the temptation. And now it's a sin. Are you with me? I I know that this may... may not like this, but I'm going to share it anyway because I'm gone tomorrow. (laughs) I mean, you could be a husband and you could... How many of you understand? The day you get married... See, I I am a one-woman man. I've had sex with one woman in my whole life. Met her when she was 12, got engaged when she was 13, married her when she was 17. And I manage my thoughts towards one woman. So even in my mind, I am a one-woman man. Are you with me? Now, that's because I choose to be a one-woman man. Because if I didn't manage my appetite, well, let me put it differently, if a man doesn't manage his appetite, he could be a 20-woman man, even though he's married. What's the difference? He resists temptation and he embraces passion for one woman. See, I, I'm not an adulteress because I could have other women. Because I don't agree with the temptation. I resist the temptation and I embrace the passion for one woman. Are you with me? If I have an attraction to the same, to the same sex, that's, that attraction does not define me. Here we go. Well, I'm a homosexual because I'm attracted to other men. Well, is, is a man an adulterer because he's attracted to other women? Or is the fact that he resists the, that, that attraction define him? In other words, if I resist the attraction, am I, am I defined by the temptation? My, by my temptations I resist? Or am I, am I defined by the passions I embrace? Are you with me? And, and, the, and here's the real struggle, and we're getting close to being done. Here's the real challenge. The challenge is, is that I'm taught that I'm not supposed to have those things. So because I'm taught I'm not supposed to have them, if I have them, I think, well, something's wrong with me. I'm broken. It's like, no, you're not broken. It's called human. Jesus was tempted in every way, but without sin. It's called human. Well, what do I do with these temptations? Resist them! I mean, you don't go in the bank, and, you know, and when you're, I mean, most of us, unless you're raised by Bonnie and Clyde, I mean, when you're broke, you don't walk in the bank and go, well, they got a lot of extra money. I think I'll just get me some. I mean, it doesn't occur to us when we walk in the bank that even though they have all this money, that I should just rob the bank and get me some money. I mean, after all, they have it and I need it. And all I need is a weapon and they'll give it to me. I mean, I don't think like that. In other words, I'm saying society does cause us to manage certain of our appetites. Society says, hey, if you need money, don't go in the bank and rob the bank. That's called wrong. Are you with me? But 21st century society says, if you need sex, it's okay to rob somebody for that. Why? Why? Well, I feel it, therefore I am it. Well, what happens if you start feeling for little boys? And we have kids in here, so you understand. I'm using general language. What happens if you feel it for little girls? At what point do your feelings no longer define you? If we say, well, I feel it for little girls, it's like, well, then you must be created for it. You see how ridiculous this is? I walk in the bank. Well, I feel like I'm supposed to rob the bank. I feel it. I was created this way. I are a bank robber. No, I'm sorry. The fact that you're tempted does not define you. Are you with me? I feel like I'd like to rip your head off. Okay, well, listen. If you agree with that, you might end up being a murderer well, I must be a murderer because every time I get mad, I want to rip someone's head off. So I was created to be a murderer. I don't know if you're getting this, but what happens if you're a a frog, but you... What happens if you're a fish and you think you're a tree frog? Oh, yeah. You can't hang out with the tree frogs because you can't climb a tree you can't hang out with the fish because you think you're a tree frog. So the only people you can hang out with are people who are fish who think they're a tree frog. Well, I think I am. Therefore, I are. No, I'm sorry. That's not true. Well, it feels true. Well, <laughs> Be led by the Spirit then. And not by the soul. I'll finish with a story. I have a friend. I started out by telling this. I just wanted to say it again. And um, I met him a couple, three years ago, really great guy, young man, and he's a prophet. Now, I've mentored lots of prophets, and I have a school of prophets that I do every year. And so, when I say somebody's a prophet, like, if I call them a prophet, like, they're a prophet. <laughs> and this guy is probably one of the top three prophets that I've ever met in my life when it comes to word of knowledge. In other words, the ability to know something by the Spirit that you could have known by the, by the natu- in the natural, but you didn't. And this guy, if I brought him in here right now, I could do this. this, this is, he has this really unique gift. I could walk him down the aisle and point to you and say, her name. He'd tell me, your name, first and last. I'd say her address. He'd give me your address. What's her phone number? He'd give me your phone number. On demand. This amazing guy. So, he, But he's young, and he was at a church that used him. And so he got really bitter, and he left the church, and he had all this, and da, 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 this whole long story that you don't need to hear. And so someone says, hey, you know, you need to be father. He's like, yeah, yeah that's what I need a father. Yeah, one of them. What is that? I'm afraid of fathers. I'm afraid of anybody who controls me. Like, because uh, I have this gift, people use me. They're like, hey, you know, what's the stock market going to do? Hey, what's this going to happen? And he can't go anywhere without people using him. So, so I meet him, and we talk, and we start to build a relationship And he he calls me one day, he calls me on and off, calls me one day, and he says, I feel like I'm in a hidden season. I feel like I'm like, Elijah, supposed to go into the cave. And I'm like, you know, I I don't know him super well, so I'm like, so I go, okay, first of all, this is metaphoric, so what's cave mean? (laughs) I don't know, it's like, am I supposed to go in my closet at my house and stay in there for a long time, or, you know, what does, what's cave mean? What does Elijah mean? What does hidden season mean? So I'm, I'm asking him, you know, like, hey, so what's, so, okay, that's cool, you know. And, and he's just using all this really spiritual language, and I'm like, woohoo! Yeah! So I'm thinking that, but I, I'm not doing that to him because I, I don't know him that well yet. So I go, hey, dude, so what does it mean to be hidden? He's like, I just feel like, you know, I'm supposed to just like pull back from, from you know, from, from society for a season, like a year. And I'm just supposed to spend time with God, and spend time in the Word, and He's telling me all this stuff, you know? And I'm like, I'm trying to, like, you know, discern, like, is this, is this healthy? Is this, is this really the Lord? Is this what He really needs to do? Is there something else going on here? And so, you know, so I said, well, you know, okay, well, let's talk through that, you know? So we kind of talked through it, and he's like, yeah, I just really feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back, and I said, well, you know, I don't want you to lose connection with me. No, no, you know, I need you in my life, I, You know, I'll still call you, and... And I, you know, I still need you to kind of connect with church and all. Yeah, yeah, I just, I'll just kind of sit in the back and, you know, just kind of hang for a year. I'm like, okay. So we had that, that conversation on a, I think it was on a, on a Monday, Monday. And so on Wednesday, I get this phone call. It's from a pastor in another city. And he goes, hey, no, I'm sorry, it's not a phone call, it's a text. It's a text. He goes, Hey, Chris, do you know, and I'll just call him John Johnson. You know, that's not his name. Do you know John Johnson? He texts me. I go, yes. I text back, yes. He goes, dude, is he for real? I go, yes. He goes, you won't believe what's happening. Well, while he's texting me, this is the pastor of a church, I find out that there's a conference going on in this other city, and my friend, John Johnson, that's not his real name, John Johnson has come to the conference. He's not a speaker. He's come to hang. Right? Hang out in the back, right? He's in his hidden season Monday. <laughs> right? So, well, 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 my past, well, my pastor friend is texting me. Another pastor friend, who's also at the three guys put on this conference, put on this conference that my, my, other, my, my, my prophet friend's at, my, the, which I find out through this text, my other friend is sitting about five feet from the one pastor who's texting me, and he starts texting me. And he doesn't know the other pastors texting me. He goes, "Dude, do you know Johnny Johnson?" I'm like, "Yes." Dude, this guy is this guy for real? I'm like, Dude, copy paste, <laughs> right? Yes. He goes, "You can't believe what's happening right now." Well, he's texting me. You know how this happens. Drew, 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 drew. Well, he's texting me the third pastor who's sitting, like, on the next row who put on this conference. He starts texting me. Hey, Chris, do you know this guy, Johnny, something, I don't know his last name? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I don't even need to know his last name because the other two guys are texting me. And so he's like, dude, you won't believe what's happening. And so, these, so it's like, I, I get, like, 30 texts in, like, three minutes. <laughs> and Johnny Johnson is walking down the aisle, Right? To go to the bathroom, and he's like, Your name is Mary Jane, and you live on this street, and you have three children. He's walking down the aisle doing that, and he's walking to the bathroom, and all the way down the bathroom, he's calling out people's names, where they live, and what they do, and who, how many children they have. Well, the guy's speaking. Well the, well, the preacher's preaching. So pretty soon, Johnny Johnson's got like 150 people in the hallway, and he's calling out their names. And telling him what they do and all this stuff about them. And my, and my pastor friends are like, dude, is this guy okay? Is he good? Is he bad? Is he evil? And I'm like, no, he's cool. So, so the one pastor goes, I, it's almost, I'm going to take him to lunch. And while he's texting me, I'm going to take him to lunch. The other pastor's like, I'm taking him to lunch. I'm like, you need to talk to him because he's taking the to lunch too. So these three pastors decide they're going to all take him to lunch. Well, in the meantime, I text Johnny Johnson. I go, nice hidden season you're in. <laughs> About a minute goes by, and I get a text back, question mark. I'm like, I'm in a hidden season, and I just need to stay in my cave. Explanation point, laughing out loud. <laughs> text back, question mark. I heard that you're really in a cave with people all around you. He texts back, these people won't leave me alone. And so I text back, it might be the way you're behaving. Phone call. Phone rings. Dude, man, you won't believe this. I'm at this conference, and man, all I'm doing, I'm sitting in the back, and these people, man, dude, they're following me all around. I can't even go to the bathroom. There's 100 people out here going to the bathroom. Oh, you're kidding me. A green, the little, the little blue angel following you around and the glory cloud following you? He's like, well, no, man, I'm being serious. I'm like, yeah, I am too. You know, the three pastors are putting this conference on? Yeah? Well, they're texting me. All of them texting me. And they're telling me what you're doing. Well, I don't know what they're saying. I don't, what did I do wrong? What did I, do? I said, did I say you did something wrong? They're telling me what you're doing. That you're walking by people and calling out their name. Well, the Lord told me. I'm like, woo you told me you're in a hidden season. God told you three days ago you're in a hidden season. I am. Well, how hidden are you? He's like, I I don't get your point. (laughs) Well, here's the real point, Johnny Johnson. The fact is, is that you're starving for attention. And you were raised in a Christian culture that told you that needing attention is evil. Therefore, you can't admit that you need attention. And secondly, you don't manage your need for it. So you come in to a conference and you become the center of attention because you are starving for attention. And there's this great suction, this sucking sound everywhere you go. And you're using your gift to get your soul's need met because you don't admit you have it. He goes, Well, the Lord says you're right. Well, the Lord would be right about that. Because I am right. And we, we have a long conversation about what do I do about that and, and so on and so forth. And I just want to finish with this. You have a soul that needs attention. I mean, it needs its, managed, it needs its appetites managed. And if you don't give your soul what it needs... It will get it in an unhealthy way. It's how people end up in bed with people, it's how people end up in unhealthy soul ties, it's how people end up running away with their secretaries and all everything so and so and so and so and on and on and on. Because no one taught me you need this, you better manage it. Because if you don't, you're gonna go overdraft on your bank account. You better balance this every once in a while. Because otherwise, you're going to start getting overdraft notices, and pretty soon the bank's going to cut you off. And I just want to tell you that I pray that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. You better figure out what your soul needs if you want to prosper. I don't mean this as an absolute, but some of you are living in poverty because, and you're doing all kinds of things to make money, but you've never actually taken care of the problem. And the problem is that you sabotage your own prosperity because you think you deserve to be punished. Some of you, like, nobody likes me. No, actually, the truth is, you don't like you. And if you don't like you, you'll never let anybody love you more than you love you. That's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The level you love yourself is the level you will love others. And, and, it's the level that you will let others love you with. If I love myself this much, and you love me this much, you know what will happen? I will sabotage my relationship with you. Because I'm afraid if you get close to me, that you will not like me. I'm afraid if you really got to know me, you wouldn't like me. What's the problem? I haven't managed my soul. I haven't managed my soul. And I live in pain. And I live in poverty. And I live in sickness. And there's always something wrong with me. And I'm perpetually sick. I'm always at the doctor or at the psychologist or at the counselor or calling my friends. It's all fine, by the way. If it's a season, it's fine. If it's a lifestyle, something's wrong. Listen, everybody goes through seasons like that. Everybody goes through seasons of struggle. But if your struggle is a whole life, guess who's the problem? It's not your mother. It's not your daddy. It's not your cousin. It's not your uncle. It's not your ex-husband. Listen, you can't always help what happens to you, but you can always help what happens in you. You have full control of the inner kingdom. You're in charge of what happens in here. But if you're told to take two-thirds of the kingdom, the soul and the body, and to punish it, don't wonder why the whole house stinks. And then you call yourself spiritual, but no one can stand you. And I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm in a hyper-spiritual environment. I have 5,000 people that are drawn to supernatural And I am passionate right now for supernatural to become spirit, soul, and body. I'm passionate for our people to be supernaturally spiritual, supernaturally soul, supernatural body, that we would live in full and complete wholeness, that we'd have super high EQ, emotional intelligence, super high physical intelligence, Super high spiritual intelligence. That those three would flow together and that we would not play one of them down because God created them all. And we were created in His image. God, God is like this. God loves. God laughs. God gets angry. God manages. God manages His desires, His appetites. That's why you're alive. And so do you. So should you. And so tonight, my desire is that you would leave here whole. Sozo. That you would leave, sozo. That you would leave whole. Spirit, soul, and body. That you would be so happy. People are like, I don't know what happened. She went to that conference, and she got happy. (laughs) That you would have friends. It's like, oh, it feels so good to have friends. That you would have money. You know I'm not into like, you know, hyper whatever prosperity whatever. I, I'm not you know like measure my spirituality by how much money's in my account. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about that whatever God allot's to you, that you you you, you don't you don't waste it because you don't think you're worthy of it. That your marriage bed is awesome because God designed it to be. Read Song of Solomon. And you're not like, well, we just got to, you know, don't tell anybody we're doing this. We'll find out. Well, I guess little Johnny probably told him that we had one of our children. You didn't get all that, but it'll show up when you get home. (laughs) That we realize that God created us as a triune being, and we take care of everything God gave us. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. Put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing tonight. And I just feel so strongly that you want this to be the beginning of a kingdom movement where the kingdom actually is assimilated, not just in the marketplace and the seven mountains, but in the triune being. That we would be completely kingdom so that we could actually spread the kingdom. That it would be in us so it could be around us. And that we, you said, watch over your heart, your heart, your soul, with all diligence. For from it flow all the issues of life. And David said, my soul makes a boast in the Lord. My soul loves God. In fact, he said, my soul and my flesh thirst for the living God. My flesh, God, loves you because you are my flesh's creator. My flesh longs for its creator. My soul longs for its creator. My spirit longs for its creator. My whole being longs for you, God, because my whole being was created by you. And Lord, may we come to a place of completeness. I pray that every person in this room would prosper, that their finances would prosper, that their relationships would prosper, that their bodies would prosper, that their spirits would prosper. God, that we would be so whole and so happy and so full of joy peace, and righteousness, that people would be attracted to us. They'd be like, I don't know what you got, but whatever it is, come in my house and teach me. Be my life coach, real life coach, and teach me how to get whole. Teach me how to get my family whole. In Jesus' name, amen.